0: Welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to continue the series um, that I've been teaching. I titled it, I started it last week and it's called Family Values. And, And really what we're talking about are the values Um, The Lord laid this on my heart, and these are the values that really, I believe, should shape the culture of our church. Um, You know, I heard a statement once by, uh, just just recently, uh, what sort of prompted this back in the fall, um, by a a great leader, if you know John Maxwell. And one of the things he said was, is that culture will eat strategy. And what he means by that is, you can have any strategy you want, but if the culture in your church doesn't exemplify what you're trying to accomplish... (laughs) then strategy will never be accomplished. It, what'll be accomplished is what's the, the DNA of that church, the culture of that church, or, or, or any organization for that matter. And so as I thought about that, and really was praying about it, the Lord really dealt with me about the fact that, you know, uh, there are certain values that I hold dear and that, that he holds dear and that we hold dear that we really need to bring to the forefront and make sure we're exemplifying those values. And, and I believe that when those values are truly embraced, You know, we talk about being a place where we can meet friends, worship God, hear the word and be a blessing. That's our vision, right? But when those values are embraced, then those things that we talk about will naturally organically happen. It's not something you have to try to do. It's something that will naturally, organically happen as we embrace those values. And they'll foster that long-term vision of being an ever-growing church where we're seeing commitments to Christ and we're sowing to stateside and overseas missions regularly. And so, but most importantly, what I pointed out last week is is that when we we embrace these three values, and they're not the be-all, end-all, but they're the ones the Lord spoke to me. When we embrace these three values for our church, we will create an environment that is conducive for the Spirit of God to manifest Himself. Um, and, and, so it, and, and so it's important to understand that, you know, what, we're, what, we're, what I believe the Lord's wanting to do through this is work on us to build His house, right? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 says this. Um, let's read this together. It's our opening text, and then, and then we'll sort of move through what the Lord has for us today. It says, you also... As living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ let's pray before we begin father thank you so much for your word thank you for the work that you are seeking to do in us as a body of believers and in us individually as as those that are disciples and followers of you and so I thank you for accomplishing that work through me as I speak to your people this morning I thank you for your anointing cutting through the lies and the deception, your anointing cutting through the distractions, and for me, just writing upon the people's heart with your words. I thank you that your spirit is liberated here and the devil is bound in Jesus' name, and I thank you for you accomplishing what it is you want to accomplish this morning. give you praise and thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you notice in 1 Peter 2 and verse 5 there, it says that we are being built up a spiritual house. We are being built into a spiritual house. And so what that verse tells us is that God is in the process of building or doing something with us. We pointed out last week that, you know, how many of you realize you haven't arrived yet? Amen. None of us have, and and, and no church has. God is always working to enhance and and, and, and make things more conducive for Him to be present. And so, uh, and so what's happening in our midst is, is an ongoing work. And, and so in building that house, you know, God is working to establish a place where he wants to dwell. And we said last week this, that the quality of what is in a home is what attracts someone to want to inhabit that home, right? You know, you think about, I use this analogy, when you go uh, house shopping or you're looking, if you're in the process of changing houses, you look at the brick, you look at the you know, carpet, you look at the landscaping, you look at where, you, you consider all of those things to ask yourself the question, is that where I want to dwell, right? And so really, if you think about it, what God is doing is, is he's doing the same thing in us. He is developing within our congregation and within us. The qualities that would cause him to want to dwell there. You know, we pointed out the difference in the presence of God and the manifested presence of God. You know, uh, it's how many of you realize the scripture teaches us that God is omnipresent? He's everywhere, right? He is everywhere. But how many of you realize that, you know, oftentimes he may be right beside you, but you may, may not sense him being there. And that's the difference in the presence of God and the manifested presence of God. There are certain things that will bring about a manifestation where you're aware of them. And I had, you know, Kevin stand up last week and I said, hey, do you guys all see Kevin? You may not have even recognized Kevin was here last week, right? But when I had him stand up, he was manifested in our presence, right? And So what we're talking about is creating an atmosphere where God wants to dwell and so psalm 127 verse 1 says Unless the Lord builds the house they labor in vain that build it unless the Lord guards the city the watchmen awake in vain What is that saying? It's saying that unless God is developing in us what it is that he wants to accomplish See because a lot of times what winds up happening is is we're trying to do something for God, right? We're trying to live for him or we're trying to please him. And, and, and i got to tell you, that's not what God wants us to do with our lives. As a matter of fact, that's the whole reason Jesus came, was so that we didn't have to strive to be something he wanted us to be, but so that he could live in us and work in us and will and do his good pleasure and we could become who it is he wants us to be, right? And, and when, when we say become who it is he wants us to be, it's really us becoming what he created us to be. See, the thing you have to understand is, is the choices you make many times may be very contrary to the very person he's called you to be, right? But, and, you, and you're straining and fighting and trying to become something when what this says is, is that we need to allow the Lord to work in us, in our church and in our midst and in us individually. And we compared it sort of to being, um, really being a custom-built home versus a stick-built home, Right? What do I mean by that? I mean, like we compared it to this, that you know, um, you know, you can go out and build a house and somebody can buy it and live in it, but I gotta tell you, it's much better when you can build a house custom the way you want it. You know, when me and Delisa were first married, the first house we bought was a stick-built home. Didn't mean it wasn't a quality home, but it was not built specifically for us. And so that house was great, we lived in it, but in living in it, we noticed a lot of different things that we would have been more comfortable with if it was changed. So what did we do? We trusted God, believed God, and we went out and built a custom-built home. Our home is built specifically the way we wanted it. And I got to tell you, I've lived there for 21 years now. Is that 21 years now? And we talked about it the other day. I don't know if I ever want to leave. I mean, if the Lord told me to, I would. But but the reality is, is that you know, a custom-built home is that place that's comfortable for you. So what we want to do is we want to create that comfortable place for the Holy Spirit, right? That place where he's like, man, this is this is where I want to be, right? And so that's what's happening in us. And so these these values that we're talking about, I believe, are the values for our church that if we embrace those, they'll cause a greater manifestation of God's presence, first of all, and it'll foster the the DNA and the environment and the culture we need to be able to become the church God wants us to become. And so what are those values? I'm going to hit them real quick. Uh, The first value, and then I'm going to talk about one specifically, not so quickly. Um, First of all, um, the first value that we embrace as a church is simply this, and it's very elementary, but it's it's important. We love God with all of our hearts. The culture of this church should be a church that exemplifies that we love God with everything in us. Number two, the second value that we'll be talking about in the coming weeks is, is that we value others as much as God does. You know, oftentimes we can look at individuals and we can sort of rank them in order of value, but God doesn't do that. We're all valuable to God. Every single person that breathes on this planet is important to Him. And we, we should embrace that value that everybody here this morning, no matter who you are, you are valuable to God. Number three is this, is that we use our gifts to serve others. We use what is on the inside of us to serve others, not to serve ourselves, not to be lazy, not to just sit back and do nothing. But we use our gifts. We're active because we care about others and, and and we love God, right? And we use those gifts to serve others. And so, um, and so what we're talking about right now is is that we love God with all of our hearts. We use this verse, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 27, uh, verse 37 and 38 says this. It says, "Jesus said unto them." Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind This is the first and great commandment So Jesus said the first and great commandment is for us to love God passionately So it's not just our first church value It is the value every believer should embrace and that is this is that we love God with everything within us You know, it's interesting. He says all your heart all your soul all your mind, right? What he's talking about is you need to be, uh, you should love God passionately with everything that is in you. Now I said last week, that kind of passionate love is not something that you can just work up. He's not saying you should grit your teeth and love God more than anything else. What he's saying is, is that the first great commandment is we should have such a relationship with God that we love him with all that we are. And we said that that kind of love doesn't come from just trying to love Him. It comes from two very important things. It comes, first of all, from actually being an individual that has been loved by Him. And in order to be loved by Him, it's the product of us actually investing our time. And then this one is so critical. I talked about it last week. It was really the focus of our message. Our surrender to Him. Our surrender to Him. See, to love God with everything within you, you can't do that on your own. The Bible says we loved him because we, he first loved us in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. So the way you love God passionately is to open up and allow him to love you. But the way you allow somebody to love you is not by you saying, well, i give you a little bit of the corner of my life, right? I'll hang on to this. No, real love says I surrender all of me to all of you, right? Right? And we come to that place where we surrender all of us to God. In that moment, he floods us with who he is because we've opened up ourselves. Not because he's like, well, you've got to give me all of you before I'll give you all of me. He's trying to get in all the time. He stands at the door of our hearts and knocks. He's pressed against, I always use this phrase because I see it mentally in my mind. He's pressed against the window panes of our life, right? And when we open up our hearts, what winds up happening is... We allow the king of glory to come in. Psalm 24 and verse 7 says, open up ancient gates, open up ancient doors, and let the king of glory come in. That's a really interesting phrase, let him in. That means you have a choice to make. He's not going to force his will on you. We have to surrender, and what I mean by surrender is we have to lay it all down say, I trust you enough to let go of my stuff if it's in the way. I trust you enough to lay down my choices if they're not your choices. Why, because I know you love me so I can surrender to that. And so we talked about that last week, right? And so what I wanna do today is I wanna talk about the symptoms of a heart that is passionately in love with Jesus. I wanna talk about the symptoms of what it looks like if you're lovesick for Jesus, right? You know, when you think about sickness, You know, thank God, God's redeemed us from sickness, right? But certain sicknesses have certain symptoms. Well, this is a good sickness, being lovesick with Jesus. That's one he hasn't redeemed us from. It's one he's called us to. What are the symptoms of being lovesick for Jesus? Number one is this. And as I share these, I do want to preface it this way. As I talk about these uh, symptoms of being in love with Jesus passionately, I don't want you to hear these from a condemning voice. Because how many of you realize God's still working on all of us? How many of you realize when you get married, you ain't a perfect spouse? All the women, come on, Connie, where you at? There's work to be done, right? There's work to be done. So as you hear these symptoms of being in love with Jesus, I don't want you to hear them like, oh man, I'm not doing that, right? Right? Because I can tell you, as you hear every one of these, <laughs> you're going to do that, right? But I want you to hear them from the perspective of really evaluating yourself and where you are in your relationship with God, but not being condemned over it, but recognizing, hey, there's still work to be done in me. There's still a growth in me. There's still a process. I still need to open up and allow him to will and do his good pleasure and turn me into that spiritual edifice that he's trying to turn me into. Amen. Amen. And so what's the first symptom of being in love with Jesus? Number one, you can't stop thinking about Him. When you're in love with someone, they are in your thoughts. They consume your thoughts. Early on in a passionate love romantic relationship, you think about it, I mean, we get so twisted in love with that person that, I mean, everything gets prioritized around that, right? Now as that relationship grows older and we take on responsibilities and we care about things, we still have that passionate love if we're fostering the right actions to do so. But how many of you realize there are things to take care of in life and you just can't go chasing around a person you love all the time when you've got to go pay the bills too. But in the midst of that longer term relationship, you've, you've allowed that person into your life and they're integrated into your life and so every decision you make, everything you do, they're a part of who you are. They're, you're thinking about them all the time. i got to tell you as a pastor, as a, as, a, as a husband, I can't think of the last time I just made a decision that didn't incorporate thinking about how, how is this going to affect my wife and children, Right? See, when you love somebody, they are incorporated into your thoughts. Psalm 63 and verse 7 says, the psalmist said this about God, I, lay, I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing through the night under your splendid, splendor shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. Notice what he said, he says, I lay awake at night and think about you. His thoughts were consumed with thoughts of God. And what that tells you, is know, so, so when you're passionately in love with Jesus, a lot of your thoughts should be surrounded with thoughts about him. Thoughts about how good he is to you, thoughts about all the blessings you have in your life, thoughts about the things he's encouraging you to do, thoughts about how does he want me to handle this instead of just how would I handle this? when you're passionately in love with him you have that kind of thought toward God and here's one thing to know about thoughts and what that tells me is this is that every thought that you have towards God whether it's good whether it's questions whether it's concern I'll even go a step further and I'll explain this even if it's condemning thoughts but but it's around your relationship with God you should understand this about that thought it is a testimony of the fact that there is a seed of love in you for God. Why? Because you wouldn't be concerned about it if you weren't thinking about him in that light. So I, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to specifically call this out. It's sort of out of conjunction with the message, but here, here's something to think about then. How many of you ever dealt with a condemning thought? Like, man, I, man I, I really need to get that right, or man, I'm just not living the... How many, have you ever dealt with that thought and you feel bad about yourself? Here's something you need to recognize about that thought. The very fact that you feel bad about yourself is truth and proof positive that you love God. Not because you're not doing the things you shouldn't be doing, but because you're concerned about it. Because you're concerned about it. And all that is, that condemnation is, is simply the devil trying to get you twisted feeling bad about yourself and condemned about yourself instead of recognizing that although I may not be where I need to be and although I'm thinking about this, what that's telling me is my heart is being drawn towards him and you could actually thank the devil. Why? For reminding you that because of the blood of Jesus you're not condemned and reminding you that you do love God in spite of what the mistakes you've made. Amen. Now that's not an excuse to continue to make the mistakes because we're gonna dig in here in a minute, right? But I wanted to lay that out at the outset so that you understand that even as we move through this message the Bible is clear about this God doesn't condemn us but our Bible says our heart will condemn us and the devil will take that love for God and that that place in our heart that says you need to get this right and he'll try to twist it and make you feel worthless and think God doesn't love you and that you're out of being able to be blessed by him all that stuff right. In that moment, we can kick the devil to the curb and say, no, Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we can say, condemnation, get out of here. Devil, thank you for reminding me that I love God and I'm concerned about this, so I'm going to get it right. Amen? Amen. Song of Solomon, chapter 1 and verse 4 says, we will remember your love more than wine. See, when we love God with all of our hearts, we're constantly thinking about him. Now, at the end of that phrase, it's something really important that's called out. It says more than wine. Why does it say more than wine? Is it specifically wine that's the problem? Well, I don't think so, but I I think, you know, many times, you know, when we go through stressful situations or or when people go through stressful situations, one of the first things they say is, man, I need a drink, right? (laughs) What he's saying is, when I'm going through tough times, I'm not going to turn to anything but you. I'm not going to let anything stand in the way of my love for you. I'm going to remember you when it's tough. I'm going to remember you when it's good. I'm going to remember you when I'm up. I'm going to remember you when I'm down. You're going to fill my thoughts no matter what, Lord, because I love you with all of my heart. So one of the symptoms of being lovesick for Jesus is you're always thinking about him. What's another symptom? Another symptom is this. Your world revolves around him. He doesn't revolve around your world. You know what I mean by that, right? See, a lot of people live their lives saying they love Jesus, but they're fitting Him into their lifestyle. They're fitting Him into their schedule. They're fitting Him into everything else. But when you love God with all of your heart more than anything else, everything revolves around Him. Right? Think about it for a minute. When we're consumed with someone in our life that we love, they become the focus of our attention. For parents, when we have children, you know, and we love children with all of our hearts, and we should love our children, they become a focus for our life. We could take it even more lightly. When we love hobbies or certain things, right? Everything else stops for that. Right? I got to do that above everything else our hearts were created here's something our hearts were created to have something one thing as a singular central point of focus we were created that way you know, I heard a guy say one time you can't have multiple priorities it's a sheer it's an oxymoron to even say that a priority is a priority it's the number one thing right So when it comes to loving God with all of our hearts, when we are passionately in love with Him, He is the reason, He is the the center point. Our life revolves around Him. In those previous examples, family or spouse or loved one or hobby, when those become the focal point, we've got it twisted. We've gotten mixed up. We've begun to love something else more than Him. And all of a sudden, He becomes the planet around the outside of our sun. Instead of the sun being the center of everything that revolves around it. Amen. We've allowed those things to become the source of our satisfaction when they never were intended to be. See, when we raise something up as a pedestal and let that be the source of that be the focal point, and we say, Lord, I can't take my eyes off of this, but I can't put you in that place, it becomes the source. And, and God warns us about that. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. Now, did he say that in a dictatorial, if that's a word? You know, you shall have, you know, like like Moses, you know, we, we, how many of you have ever seen the Ten Commandments? Cecil B. DeMille's Ten Commandments. He goes up on the mountain in the fire and roar, roar, here's all the commandments. Well, I'll tell you, God is a consuming fire and we should be understanding that we're not playing games with a make-believe God. He's very real and we need to honor him and fear him to a certain respect. But when he says you shall have no other gods before me, it's not like i got to be God and you got to bend your knee. No, it's he's warning us and lovingly telling us. Why? Because he knows how we were created. He created us. You were not designed to have another God except for him. And you'll never be satisfied if you don't put him first. There'll always be an element of dissatisfaction within you. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 says, For my people have done two evils. Now that word evil, it doesn't mean that they're nasty, mean people. What it means is they've done two hurtful things to themselves. Right? They've done two evil things. They They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. What he's saying is, they've abandoned me and I'm the fountain of living water. They're hurting themselves this evil choice to hurt themselves, maybe not even realizing it, they've abandoned me, the only source that can satisfy. And they have dug out for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. What's he saying? When you put another God in front of me, when you put when you put that choice, that whatever it is, when you put that in front of me, you've hewn out something that will not satisfy you in this life but more importantly, in the grand scheme of eternity. And that's not something you want to play around with. See, he's the fountain of living water. Psalm 73 and verse 25 says, Whom have I in heaven? This is what the psalmist said. He said, Whom am I ha- have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak. Wait a minute, isn't that a faith? That's not a faith statement. What are you doing, David? I don't think David was going around confessing he's going to fail and not be successful. What he's saying is, no matter what, like the song we sang, some people may, you know, the song we sang wasn't saying I'm believing for these things, but it's saying if this happens, I'm still committed, I'm still going to follow you, right? He said, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. What was he saying? He was saying, you're the priority in my life. My world revolves around you. And so that's a symptom of being lovesick for Jesus. What's another symptom of being lovesick for Jesus? You can't get enough time with him. You know, when you love somebody, you just can't spend enough time with them. I remember me and Delisa, I mean, I I love spending time with her. I just, I love her. Everybody give my wife a hand. I love my wife. Most people don't see how she just keeps me propped up, and that's probably the most important thing for this church you could have. Amen. Amen. She does a lot of stuff in the nursery and everything else most people don't see. But you know, I I remember when we were dating, when I met her, after our first date, I drove away and before I could say it, she said it. She said it first. She went and told her mama, that's the man I'm going to marry. But as I was driving down the street from her house, I called my best friend and I said, when I get back to Greenville, because I lived in Greenville, South Carolina at the time, I said, "Um," I said, I want you to look in my eyes and tell me what you see. He said why I said you go find out that my eyes are settled my heart has found a home (laughs) And I got to tell you from that moment forward I could not spend enough time with her I lived five at that time you could only drive well By the grace of God you could only drive five miles over the speed limit the speed limit was 55 It wasn't 70 like it is now Uh, and, And so it was a five and a half six hour drive And I remember I'd get off work on friday as early as I possibly could and I'd drive home as quick as I possibly could and I'd stop by and see her for an hour or so go over to my mama's house and sleep and then I'd see her all day Saturday see her all day Sunday and before I headed back on Sunday I mean, I'd leave at like 11 o'clock get home at 5 in the morning oh no I'd leave her on Saturday I'd leave on Saturday because I was a children's pastor I'd leave it like I'd leave it like 11 at night and get home at like 5 in the morning and don't even go to sleep I get a shower and go over and teach the kids why would I do that because I loved her I couldn't get enough time with her I could not get enough time with her and when you love somebody more than life when they are the passion of your life you cannot get enough time with them song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 5 says I am lovesick <laughs> I am longing for more yet how could I take more You know, the the Song of Psalms is a great picture of a husband and wife story, but it's really a greater picture of the bride of Christ and the church, the church and Jesus. And what that's saying is, is man, when you're in love with Jesus, you are longing for more of Him. Even when obligations and commitments have to pull you away and responsibilities you have to take care of, even in the midst of those things, you're fighting to get back to that moment with them. And as a church, when we talk about being a church that's in love with Jesus, that should be our passion. Being here, being in His presence should be a priority. Decisions we make should revolve around that because we love him, not, not because we, I'm not talking about loving the church, I'm talking about loving Jesus. If this is where God has called you, then this is where we can have the corporate manifest presence of God. Psalm 63 and verse one says, you God are my God, earnestly I seek, for you, seek you, I thirst, you, thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. This is a symptom of a lovesick person. Just can't get enough of Jesus. Psalm 122 and verse 1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. When you're in love with Jesus, when there's something to do with the people of God and the things of God, your heart goes, I'm excited about that. Not like, oh man, I got to give something else up, right? If that's the case, check your heart. Are you passionately in love with him? Is he the priority in your life? Here's another symptom of being lovesick with Jesus. You are faithful to him. When people love each other, they don't go out and sell themselves out, for lack of a better term, to other things, right? They're faithful to the one they love. That's why when you stand at the wedding altar, you say, I will be faithful to you until this day forward, right? I'm gonna. You're mine and I'm yours. John 14 and verse 21, uh, the, the, it says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Before that in song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 16 it says this it says my beloved is mine and I am his right do we view our relationship with Jesus that way I am his I am his I am his nobody else's nothing else's I am his right and part of being his is what we just read in that verse it says he who has my commandments and keeps them it is he who loves me so part of being faithful to God is a person that lives by his commandments And so, as I said earlier, God's working on us. We're certainly not arrived yet. We have areas of imperfection that God is working on. But I will tell you this, that's not an excuse to ignore that verse. It's not an excuse to look into your heart and say, Lord, you said I should live my life this way, but I'm not living my life this way. I guess I don't love you. Or I need to make a choice here. Right? I mean, I didn't say that. Jesus did, right? John chapter 14 verse 21 says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What's that verse saying? It's saying that if you have my commandments and you keep them, you love me. But the way to show me you love me is not by gritting your teeth to try to keep your commandments. The way to show me that you love me is to allow me to to surrender those areas of your life to me and say, Lord, I love you. You can have this. You can have this. Like Abraham did with his son. Now that's an extreme example, right? But God came to Abraham and he said, I want you to give me your son. Abraham had to make a choice. Do I love my son or do I love Jesus? Do I love God more? It was, you know. So here's the question you have to ask yourself this morning. Do you really love Jesus? Are you just kidding yourself? Are there things that you're not willing to give him? That you're willing to be unfaithful to him? In that area of your life, it's a hard one. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18 says, But the lovers of God walk on the highway of light, <laughs> and their way shines brighter and brighter. If you love God, you're going to walk his path. If you love yourself and other things more, you're going to choose to veer off. It's just that simple. Amen. What's the final symptom of a heart that's love sick for Jesus? Number five, you can't stop talking about him. I mean, after I drove away from her house, actually she was staying with her grandmother at the time, but after I drove away, what did I do? I picked up the phone immediately and called my friend. I had to tell somebody. I had to tell somebody. <laughs> I look at Angela and Jason, you know, they just got married. I mean, they can't stop talking about everything they're doing together. They got to tell somebody. Right? Why? Why? Because they, it's love, that passionate love will cause you to not be able to stop talking about it. This should be the same with our love for Jesus. We proclaim his name to others, not because we have to, not because we're commissioned to, but because we can't contain it. John chapter 1 and verse 1, this is 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. This is a compilation of the NIV and the message. It says this, that which was from the beginning, this is John writing, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes. So he's speaking of Jesus. Which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. He said, I've experienced Jesus, so I got to tell this to you verse 2 the word of life appeared right before our eyes and we saw it happen and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us this experience of communion with the father and his son Jesus Christ our motive for writing is simply this we want you to enjoy this too what's he saying he's saying I've experienced how satisfying Jesus can be I've experienced how satisfying he can be over anything else in your life and so I've got to tell you that he is the choice you should be making in your life lovingly I say that Psalm 40 and verse 9 says I tell everyone everywhere the truth of your righteousness and you know I haven't held back in telling the message to all I don't keep it a secret or hide the truth I preach of your faithfulness and kindness proclaiming your extravagant love to the largest crowd I can find when you're head over heels in love with somebody one of the symptoms of being that lovesick you can't stop talking about. Them. Amen. As the musicians come, I believe God is calling us as a church to a greater level of love for him. I'll say that again because I don't want to be distracted and I didn't plan on saying it that way but I believe it was sort of inspired the way it came out. I believe God is calling us to a greater level of love for him. A greater level of love for him here's the question you have to ask yourself because it requires something of you to love someone that much are you ready I believe as a community of believers we're to be passionate about Jesus where he is always on our mind and it's a signal people recognize it Man, people go to that church that's all they can think about is Jesus 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 that's a good thing That our world and our choices revolve around him and his will. You know, I'm reminded of a story that, you know, Brother Hagan, uh, Brother H- Kenneth Hagan, he established, I, I call him Brother Hagan, but I, I never really knew him that well. As a matter of fact, I shook his hand once and he laid his hands on me once. That's it. But he established our uh, the, the school I went to. And, and I remember this, one of the stories he talked about, you know, having God as a priority in your life. And there was a man in his church who was offered a job and that job was, um, I mean, uh, lots of money in another town. And at that time, churches were not as prevalent, you know, you got a church on every corner now, maybe you did then, I don't know. But, but uh, he asked the guy this question, you know, he said, in considering taking this job, have you asked yourself the question, is there a church there that God would have you attend? And the guy said, well, I don't know. And he said that you can't go. Do you love God more than money? What's more important than being in a church community where you can hear the truth of God's word the way you should hear it? Amen. I believe we should be a church where we can't get enough of him so that when the doors are open, we come running. Amen. But we're living holy lives in faithfulness to him that it's clear to people that we love him so much, we'll do anything he asks. <laughs> and we're exuberantly talking about him to everybody around us. As I think about this passionate love for Jesus, I tell you this, I'm always real careful about being heavy, right? Because the Spirit of God doesn't bring heaviness, but there are heavy topics that we should embrace, right? And that's a different kind of heaviness. When we ask ourselves the question, do we passionately love Jesus? That should be a heavy question for us. Shouldn't be a flippant, yeah, I love him. It should be a soul searching question. See, because it's a willful choice to love someone, although you can't conjure it up and make up passionate love, there still is a moment of willful choice to submit to his love so that you do have that passionate love. It's a willful choice. And and, and, and I was really, man, I didn't even plan on sharing this this morning until I got myself away to a place of prayer this morning that God dropped this into my heart. Although we can't conjure up his love, we must make a willful choice to respond to it when it calls us. This morning as we close the service, I ask you the soul searching question, do you love him with all of your heart? Is he the priority above all else? There came a point in Peter's life where he had to answer that question. If you remember, we read the verse earlier. He said, you alone have the words of life, Lord. You alone have them. He expressed the fact that he was his priority. But that heart was challenged with a question Jesus asked him after Jesus rose from the dead. Peter had fished all night, didn't catch anything. Then they caught some fish, brought them to shore. And we find verse nine here, it says, then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and a fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them bring some of the fish which you have just caught and then down to verse 15 so when they had eaten breakfast Jesus said to Simon Simon son of Jonah do you love me more than these now there's been countless theological conversations about what were the more the these right was it the fish was it his fishing business was it the other people sitting around with him But regardless, it was a soul-searching question. Do you love me more than something that you consider a priority? Do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. How many times have we said that but really not thought about it? He said to them, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Obviously, the first response maybe didn't get his attention. I don't know. Some people say he did it three times because he denied three times to restore him, and I I get the analogy of that. But the reality is he sat there and he asked him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, tend my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We have, we have here a moment where Peter has to make a choice between something and the love he had for Jesus. My question for you this morning is, is you know, do you really love him? Or is there something you love more? Because if there's something you love more, at least be honest with yourself and know where you're at right now. You're not a lover of God more than that. He's not your God. That thing is your God. So I issue you the same challenge and even possibly this uncomfortable question to ask yourself. Do you love Jesus more than anything? Not just with your words and your casual commitments. But do you love him enough to lay aside the thing that he may be speaking to you about this morning? Are you willing to respond to his love with a willful choice to love him above all else? I believe he's calling us as a church to a higher level of love, a higher level of commitment, a higher level that says, Lord, I love you more than anything and nothing else matters but you. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry or how you can get involved thanks again for listening and we hope to see you soon